But that will be continuing our worship today. We've been reading through the book of Acts, and so today's reading will be Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, when he had brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his, all his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all today. I'm Pastor Rich. Uh, if this is your first time worshiping with us, I want to extend a special welcome to you. I'm so glad that you're at our church. I um, hope you can stick around, get to know us a little bit. And um, as Ilbum is going through those announcements, you know, everything we do is really intentional. Like, I know that announcements can be some of the most, like, uh, I don't know, like, redundant aspects of the church, and you kind of may check out. But actually, that's where the life happens. The life happens throughout the week, right? And so, like, this is sort of like, um, you, know, the, you know, the game, but in the life, in the week, that's the practice for the squad, right? Um, right now, we're going through the book of Acts, and um, if you've been with us uh, for several months, what we've seen is we've, we've seen how the early church responded to and obeyed Jesus' command to go and make disciples. That's all the book of Acts is. It is the response of the early church to what Jesus told them to do. And so they're executing his mission, right? What's the mission? 
It's to share Christ and make disciples. Uh, it's simple, hard to apply, but in theory, simple, right? Share Christ, make disciples. And so we've seen the apostles sharing the gospel. They're teaching the teachings of Jesus. They're appointing elders. They're praying and depending on the Holy Spirit to live transformed lives for the glory of God. That's what we see chapter after chapter, different applications of this, but in theory and in principle, the same. Last Sunday, we saw how Paul... Timothy, Silas, and Luke, this, this band of brothers, they're on mission in Philippi. So we're still in Philippi. Last week, we also saw how uh, Lydia came to faith, a uh, cosmopolitan Turkish woman uh, with a lucrative fashion business. Uh, her business was selling beautiful clothes to the elite. And when Paul shared the gospel to her, she was compelled. She had never seen a beauty like this. And she said, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. She became a Christian. She gave her life to Christ, transformed her life. Today we're going to take a look at two other conversion stories in the city of Philippi. And this uh, one can infer that these three people were probably in the church of Philippi together as Paul is writing the letter of uh, Philippians to them. This is the beginnings of the early church plant. Today we see a demon-possessed girl and we see a Roman guard come to faith. And in these two stories... And they're really related, as we will see. There's a reason why I didn't split them up. They may seem like two different stories, but they are very interlinked. We're going to see three things. We're going to learn about, one, the power of sin, two, the purpose of life, and then lastly, the power of the gospel. That's what we're going to see. Now, our passage begins <clears throat> with a description of this girl um, with a spirit of divination. Spirit of divination. The Greek word for divination is puthon, and this means python. That's what it means. What that means is in those days, a python spirit was a spirit of prophecy, which is the ability to know things that were never told to them or things of the future. So when Luke, Timothy, Silas, uh, and Paul go to a place of prayer, this, this girl with this spirit, this python spirit, mysterious, mysteriously she knows who they are and what they do. Now, I know that when I uh, share this to a group like us, for many of us, and, and I just want you to know, this wasn't just today. This isn't just a problem today. Even for those back in that day, people were very skeptical of prophecy. And we're skeptical because prophecy is unexplainable by the natural world. And so when we read a passage like today, we may write it off as unscientific. And if it's unscientific, if it can't be explained by the uh, you know, natural laws, by empiricism, then we think it's unbelievable. It's not real. And so maybe you're here and you're thinking, this is, I, I, I can't believe... Um, that a church in the 21st century still believes in, in things like this. Maybe you're thinking, Rich, do you really believe in demon possession? And my answer is yes, for two reasons. First, uh, there are many things, even today, that are unexplainable by empiricism, by natural law, that we cannot deny. Right? For example, our existence is still a mystery. There are theories, there are 
hypotheses, but we are still unsure. The verdict is, is not out, right? The jury is not out. We are still unsure how humanity has come to be on a planet Earth, but here we are. Unexplainable, but undeniable. Another example is maybe the concept of evil. Where did evil come from? How do you explain evil? From an evolutionary perspective, evil is the part of us that we haven't been able to evolve from. But at the same time, from this perspective, death is not a bad thing. It's not evil. Death is just natural. It's, it's part of the circle of life. But if death is natural, if death is part of the circle of life, then, then why do we feel like death is not natural? That death is evil? Why do we fear death? Why do we prevent death? This is why I think the Christian worldview gives the best explanation of evil, but um, I'm not going to go too deep into that. But my point is this, that there are many things in our world that we cannot explain, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, that, that it's not real. And so that's the first reason why I am open, if uh, at the least, and at the most, I do believe that there is more to this world than what we can see, what we can taste, what we can touch, what we can hear. Second, the reason why I believe in demon possession is that uh, demonic possession, as far as the Bible is concerned, actually, demonic possession is, is the extreme case of something that is true of all of us outside of Jesus. It's the extreme case of something that is true of all of us outside of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, um, Becky Pippert, she is a Christian author, and in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker, she says this. She says, everyone has a master. Everyone has a master. Now, we can infer she's talking about spiritual master. It just depends on who or what controls you. If your pride is your master, you'll be controlled by pride and you won't be able to concede to others. If comfort is your master, you struggle with love because love demands sacrifice. If beauty is your master, you'll be obsessed with how you look and how other people look. If lust is your master, the principle of lust is, it's never enough. If acceptance is your master, you'll always feel slighted, left out, Everyone has a Lord, and everyone is controlled by the Lord of your life. See, church, what Becky Pippert is saying is you and I may not be physically enslaved. We may not even be extremely sort of in, like the girl in our text, demon-possessed, but we still have masters. We still have masters. And any master besides Jesus controls us. It consumes us. And eventually it will destroy us. So just like this demon-possessed girl, church, you and I, we need spiritual freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from these spiritual masters that control us. At the same time, you can't free yourself. The scriptures say to break free from the power of sin and these spiritual masters in our lives is not a matter of knowledge or willpower. And that's the difference between Christianity and all other religions. You see, all other religions, they, they don't deny 
the existence of evil. But their approach is human-centered. It's about modifying our behavior. It's about freeing ourselves. That's, that's the approach. And even non-religious perspectives are about what? Self-sufficiency, self-actualization, which is the ability to become the best version of yourself. It's about self-freedom. And Christianity is the only religion that, religion that says you can't do it. Now, why would anyone want to be a part of that kind of religion? <laughs> Let's take Paul, for example. If you know the story of Paul, um, he was a very powerful lawyer and, and judge in his day. Um, he had the rubber stamp from the Roman authority to arrest people and to put them to death. He was very smart. He was very accomplished. He was very disciplined. But even Paul knew that spiritual freedom was beyond his ability. Spiritual freedom and the presence of God in his life was beyond anyone's ability. Listen to me, uh, uh, to listen with me to Romans chapter 7 here. This is what Paul says. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin. This master, the spiritual power that dwells within me. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You see? Why? Because it's not a matter of knowing what to do. It is a matter of spiritual power. Spiritual power. It's as if you're trying to swim up a river against the power of the current of that river. Now, you can tell yourself, there's a current. It's coming my way. Is that going to help you swim against that current? No. What you need is an external force. What you need is an external power. And we'll get to that in our last point. But first, what I do want to do is I want to now take a look at the second thing we see in our text. As we, I want to move us sort of forward from this uh, girl who's demon-possessed. And I want to see this next point here, the purpose of life. In our passage, we're told that, that Paul casts out the spiritual evil that enslaved this poor girl. And the masters are angry now because they no longer can make money off her prophetic services. She was free, but they didn't care. She was better, but they couldn't see past their own selfish desires. So they drag Paul and Silas to the Philippian magistrate, which is the highest Roman official in that city. And he gives the order to beat Paul and Silas with rods and have them thrown in prison. Now, here is the amazing part. In verse 25, we are told that Paul... And Silas, in the middle of the night, what are they doing? They are praying and they are singing hymns to God. This is absolute, this is, this is remarkable. This is stunning. This is not just unexpected. This is almost unbelievable. Paul and Silas have just encountered tremendous injustice, tremendous pain, and yet they're not depressed. They are not in despair. They are not anxious. They are not fearful of death. What are they doing? They are praying and they are singing praises 
to God. Right? I mean, let's just be realistic about this. Uh, most of us, when we're doing this, it's after something good has happened, right? Imagine doing this when your worst fear has been realized. Imagine that. Now, what then we can deduce here, what is clear is the purpose of Paul and Silas's life. From this experience, we can know and we can deduce at least this, that the purpose of Paul and Silas's life is not to avoid suffering. That's what we can at least infer, right? Because if that was their purpose, to eliminate suffering from their life, then they would not be rejoicing. They would be despondent. They would feel purposeless. They would feel hopeless. They would be miserable. They would be complaining. They would be angry. But they're not. They're doing the exact opposite. Paul and Silas are thanking God. They're singing songs to him. What this means is that something else other than the spiritual maybe master of comfort, the spiritual master of security is ruling their hearts. A spiritual power is ruling them um, that brings them this spiritual freedom in the midst of any circumstance. And, and what we can infer for ourselves as we can apply this to being relevant to us is that, friend, if you are experiencing suffering, if you are experiencing pain or loss or injustice, what, what this can tell you is that there is a pathway, there is a pathway for joy. There is still a pathway for purpose. You, there is still a pathway for hope. If you look at Paul and Silas in this circumstance, there is a pathway for still tremendous fulfillment. But for this to be true for us, for this path to be real to us, what needs to happen is you need an external and greater power than anything in this world. An external and greater power than anyone in this world. And, and, and we're going to take a look at the last theme here we see in our text. The power of the gospel. Verse 24 says that the jailer put Paul and Silas into the inner prison and that he fastened their feet in stocks. The jailer had no sympathy for Paul and Silas. The magistrate did not even tell them fasten their stocks. He did it himself. <laughs> he put him in the inner cell, which is the darkest and the grungiest cell. He went out of his way to torture them and to hasten their death. He was ruthless. But then, there's an earthquake. And verse 27 says that the jailer woke, which means he was sleeping on the job. <laughs> he saw that the prison doors were open, so he drew his sword. Why? To kill himself. Supposing that Paul and Silas and all the prisoners had escaped, why? Because if there was an earthquake, the prison guard, his job was to guard the cells and to kill anyone who was looking to escape. 
That was his job. But he failed because he was sleeping on the job. And if you found sleeping on the job, that means execution. Out of despair and hopelessness, this guard now prepares to take his own life. And you would think, I don't know, I think if it was me, and God sends an earthquake and the prison doors open, I'm like, this is God's sign. It's time for me to escape. <laughs> That's God's will. But Paul and Silas are thinking outside of themselves. They're not thinking about their life. They're thinking about this prison guard's life. Can you imagine that? You have an opportunity to save your life or to save the life of your enemy and you choose to save the life of your enemy. So out of the darkness, Paul cries out. He's, this, you know, I love Paul. He's just so ahead of everyone. He's like, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> like, he already knows what's going to happen. We're all here. So the jailer calls for lights. He rushes in. He's trembling. He's trembling because he thought his life was over. His, his greatest fear had been actualized. He falls down before Paul and Silas and he says, Sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right? He's heard of these folk, these Christians. Now he's saying, this is a different, this is, this is different here. This is a different kind of ethic. This is a different kind of community. This is a different kind of love. This is divine. This is supernatural. This is spiritual. This is something great. What must I do? to be a part of this. Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. We could deduce that he probably said, what does that mean? So they're teaching him and, and they taught to all who were in his house. He's now invited them into his home. He washed their wounds. He was baptized. He and all his family his infants too, probably. That's just like, you know, Presbyterian plug there. Um, then he brought them up into his house. And he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. So here's what we learn about Spiritual Freedom Church. The beginning of our passage, there is this girl who is enslaved by a demon and physically enslaved by her owners. She is an extreme example of how sin enslaves. Paul turns to her and says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out. And it came out that very hour. So what we learn first is that freedom from being enslaved by the spiritual masters in our lives, whatever they are, this freedom only comes out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see? Spiritual freedom can only be experienced when you experience the spiritual freedom and the spiritual power of Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit. You can't swim up the stream. You need an external force. You need an external spiritual power, which is the power of Christ. If you struggle with anger, if you struggle with impatience, if you struggle with pride, if you struggle with comfort, you struggle with whatever it is. To overcome that is hard. But the only way is through a 
encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Second thing we learn about spiritual freedom is, is that this power, experiencing this power, encountering and living in the presence of God, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, what we learn here, the second thing we learn is that experiencing the power of Christ, that is the purpose of life. That's the purpose of life. Living in spiritual freedom and not living under spiritual enslavement, that is the purpose of life. It's not your circumstance that is the purpose of life. It is which spiritual power, which spiritual kingdom you are living in and under. That is your purpose. That is what Jesus came to accomplish. Maybe you struggle with insecurity. And the lens you see everything through is this lens of approval and acceptance. That's your, that's your master. So any hint of disapproval or unacceptance, it rattles you. Any kind of feedback or constructive criticism, it throws off your purpose, your joy. And so the purpose of your life is Christ trying to bring you out of that and into his acceptance and into his approval of you. Maybe you struggle with anxiety and control, and so any hint of potential mistake or failure, it distresses you significantly. Your response to what's happening is extreme because it doesn't matter if it's a small mistake or a big mistake because it's all tied to having complete and utter control. And so the purpose of your life is to bring you out of that enslavement and to bring you into the power and the kingdom of Christ and help you to live in spiritual freedom, in spiritual peace, in spiritual trust, in spiritual redemption. Maybe you struggle with anger and bitterness. Forgiveness is really hard to come by. And you're controlled by these feelings, these emotions of anger and bitterness when you think about the people who have offended you. It can be a big offense or a small offense. doesn't matter. It's the same hatred, the same rage. Because the real issue is about the power of unforgiveness. And so what is the purpose of your life? The purpose of your life, Christ is trying to bring you out of this kingdom and the spiritual enslavement of unforgiveness and into the kingdom and the power of Christ of forgiveness and grace and love. You see, there are many spiritual masters that seek to enslave us, that seek to control us, and I'm not exempt either, right? I fight, that, I fight that same spiritual battle on a daily basis. You know, I didn't have to read a book to share these insights. I just had to look within. <laughs> this was the easiest part of the sermon, right? It's like writing, writing all my struggles. <laughs> but there's hope. There's good news. There's hope to live as God intended us to be in the presence and power of Christ. There's hope to live according to your true purpose, there's hope. There's hope for spiritual freedom. Not perfect. Not perfect. Imperfect. Slowly. Sometimes spiritual freedom, spiritual victory looks like three steps forward, two steps back. In some seasons, it looks like six steps forward, one step back. In some seasons, it looks like one step forward, eight steps back. But if you Take that sum over a lifetime, right? There'll be a net positive. 
Sometimes I do believe that it is a spiritual power when you struggle like me, uh, you struggle with performance and you live in the moment of your failures and you don't have the bigger picture of how you are being sanctified, how you are growing and you live with this constant emotion and sense of failure, right? And it takes a body to come beside you and to communicate to you and to encourage you. That's one of the things me and Jen, um, as we were uh, doing our uh, Wednesday night prayer night, um, for nine years, you know, uh, we've been married and, you know, we've grown a lot. We've grown a lot. Um, but I think one of the things that we both struggle with is performance. Performance. We are, we are very um, work-centered. Work-centered. Right, very uh, what have you done for me lately sort of types of people. <laughs> Maybe a product of nature or nurture, uh, but we realize that, you know, that's good. It's good, we, we're, we are able to give constructive criticism and we've grown, but what we realize, we need to be more encouraging. You know, um, because what we've realized is that even though that we've grown, we, don't, we haven't been able to live in the freedom of that growth, right? The emotion we still experience is, is failure, um, insufficiency. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to encourage each other more. And so she sent me a text message today and was saying, you're doing a great job. I love you. God is using you. God is faithful. And I'm like cheering up. <laughs> right? We all need that, that, that encouragement to know that, that we are in the presence and power of Christ. Right? That, that's like a taste of the kingdom. But, but the spiritual freedom, the spiritual freedom comes at a cost. It comes at a cost because you see here, Paul and Silas, they've been, they, they, they freed this demon-possessed girl, right? They did it. She was, before she was spiritually and literally enslaved, now she is spiritually and literally redeemed. She's spiritually free. She's free to now live the way that God had intended her. But what is the cost? Is there a cost? Yeah. Paul and Silas got arrested for that. They took a physical beating. They are tortured and they are threatened with death. That's the cost. An external force had come and freed her through the ministry of Paul and Silas. She was free. But only because Paul and Silas went into the river and pulled her out and that cost them. Before she was enslaved and Paul and Silas was free. Now what? She is free and Paul and Silas are in prison. That was the only way. Church, in the same way, outside of Jesus, outside of the Holy Spirit, you and I, we are enslaved by the power of sin, by these spiritual masters. I gave some examples of what those could be. And ultimately, what that leads to is the power of death. The power of death. So Jesus comes down out of his compassionate love for us and he frees us. He frees us. But it costs him. Before Jesus was free, we were enslaved. But when Jesus comes down and he frees us, that sin is now transferred upon him. 
Like financial debt, he lets it take everything from him, but spiritual freedom is much more costly than financial freedom. And what it does, it takes Jesus all the way to death. Because that's what the power of sin does. Um, If you read through the scriptures, the ultimate consequence of sin is death because what God says is no sinful person can live forever. That would not be good, right? If, if you and I could live forever, I'm not sure if we would really be doing the world a good thing, right? Have you guys seen um, Bruce Almighty, right? Uh, it's an old movie. I'm outdating myself. I don't even know anymore. But um, um, Bruce Almighty gets fired from a job, and you know what he does? He gets angry at God, and he says, I shouldn't be fired. You should be fired. I fire you, God. Right? That's what he does. And essentially, he says, God, I could do a better job. And so, you know, Morgan Freeman displayed as God is pretty blasphemous. I get it. But I'm just making a point here. Um, Bruce Almighty is given the power of God. And what does Bruce Almighty do? Does he help the poor? Right? Does he bring about world peace? No. He first magically gives himself a supercar, <laughs> right? He's blowing up like He's like women's skirts in the movie, right? He's, he's giving himself promotion, firing all these, I mean, like, right? Like, that's a little microcosm, a humorous microcosm of what you and I would do with eternal life as sinners. Would we help the poor? Would, would we spend that power with that privilege to heal others? And so the power of sin, the consequence of that is death. But Jesus takes all of that upon himself so that When we die, we would not die eternal death, but we would have eternal life. Now, let me just close with this. These three conversion stories in Acts 16, you have Lydia, the demon-possessed girl, the prison guard, all very different, right? Lydia, successful businesswoman, this oppressed girl living on the streets, this prison guard. And what's funny is when this uh, girl is sort of prophesying about Paul and Silas, Paul, it says in verse 18 that she kept bothering them for many days. Do you find that funny? You should find that funny. This girl is bothering Paul and Silas for many days, Paul becomes greatly annoyed and not, it doesn't say out of Paul's compassion, it says out of his great annoyance, Paul says, I command you to come out in the name of Jesus Christ, (laughs) right? Have you ever done ministry like that? Not out of love, but annoyance, you know? (laughs) It's like, I command you to stop, right? It doesn't say that Paul was driven to compassion. He tried to avoid her. He didn't want to deal with her. It was out of his frustration that he drives this evil spirit out of her. What's the matter with Paul? Why didn't you help her, Paul? I don't know. Paul was a, Paul was a sinner too. But God is orchestrating the mission. And just like he used Paul, he is going to use you. I think God humbled Paul tremendously when, when God used Paul and his sinfulness to free this demon-possessed girl. I think that's why he and Silas were rejoicing. You know, you know when God uses your sinfulness, um, your weaknesses, it just humbles you, doesn't it? 
Like, man, how did God use that? And so I think that they were so humble that, that, that God would use even their anger and frustration to bring about his glory. And I think the thing that we can learn here is that sometimes when we come to church, we may think it's a showroom. You know what a showroom is? You go to a showroom, you can't touch anything. It's like, sir, don't touch that, please. I'm like, wait, wait, I don't understand. How am I supposed to know what this is? <laughs> the apple's fake. The portrait is a picture of a fake family. It's all superficial. You just observe. Contrast that to the church as a living room, right? What happens in a living room? Real life happens in a living room. People laugh, people cry. People pray, people sing, people disagree, people hug, people eat, people spill food, people have to clean up that mess. It's messy. But the beauty of a church that understands that the church is a living room and not a showroom is that when you don't deny the mess and you embrace the mess, you'll, you'll find the power of Jesus there. Right? How, how can Jesus be relevant in a showroom kind of church? He can't, right? No, no vulnerability. Um, no, no prayer requests, no accountability, no grace, no Holy Spirit. Jesus can't work in a place like that. But in a church as a living room, you're going to see that Jesus just loves cleaning people's mess up. He loves it. But you got to show it. You got to live in that mess. You know, he doesn't like trying to clean up people who constantly think they're clean. All right? When I'm trying to clean up Luke and he's like, ah, I'm like, all right, dude, I'm done with you. <laughs> Let me know when you're ready for me to clean you up. That's literally why Jesus came and died on the cross, to clean up our mess. That's the business. To give us grace, to use us to show grace. I know that whenever I fail, it sucks. Initially, I, I hate it. I, I, there's just immediate regret. There's immediate shame. There's self-pity, right? There's self-doubt. But usually what happens, every time that happens, Jesus meets me there. And he shows me grace. And he frees me from the spiritual power of approval and acceptance again. And he says, you see again now, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about me. So church, I just want to remind you, don't rob yourself of the gospel. Don't rob yourself of living in the living room of God because that's where you're going to find his presence. That's where you're going to find his power. Lastly, you see this hardened prison guard come to faith. How does he come to faith? By the grace of Paul and Silas. They literally forgive him. Right? You tortured us, we forgive you. And maybe you're here and, and like this guard, maybe your heart is hardened too. Maybe you feel out of place in the church like this guard must have felt like, what are these guys talking about? Love, grace, and mercy. That's not the real world. But friends, from this text, we can see that the God of the universe, the King of Kings, can free you from that too. Three different people, three different situations, same result. Spiritual freedom. Everyone may have different spiritual masters, but the result is spiritual freedom. But it comes through a costly forgiveness. But what you will find is spiritual power in the presence of God. No matter 
who you are, no matter where you're at, no matter where you've been, friends, I'm here to tell you that if you believe, then Jesus will free you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and sometimes we come to church and I love it because we come out of obedience. We come because you say one day out of the week, rest from your work, rest from your entertainment, rest from whatever it is, come and gather together, worship me and hear me speak to you. And out of that obedience, we encounter the power of Christ. And, and we are so weak that sometimes we, we don't realize what this power is. And I am so weak that I cannot communicate fully your power. And so the reason why I pray right now is that you would be able to communicate and give a spiritual freedom that only you can give, a spiritual power that only you can give through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I ask that you would do this for us. We're, our, we're in an ordinary room and we're all sinners here. The ones who are serving, the one who is speaking, the, one who is, the ones who are leading, the ones who are sitting, we're all, but you can still, just like you used Paul, you can use us to minister to each other, to love each other, to extend the love and power of Christ as we experience that for ourselves first. So Father, would you help us experience that? Would you break through? Would you break through any hardness? Would you break through any weakness? Would you break through any pride? Would you soften our hearts and humble us and let us know this is it. This is, this is the truth. This is the power I need. This is the love that I need. This is the love I need to love others, to, to love my family. This is the forgiveness and grace I need to not live in guilt and condemnation. This is the hope and eternal life I need to not live in the fear of death. Father, help us to encounter the power of Christ pray this in Jesus' name, amen.